She's a woman, and she's my TARDIS. Wait, she's your TARDIS? And she's a woman. Did you wish really, really hard? I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. I'm Kelsey. And tonight we're going to be talking about the doctor's wife. And yes, I am not there tonight. <laughs> yes, in, in, in the spirit of a pandemic, we are uh, we are doing some virtual connecting and some virtual podcasting. Uh, I've heard a lot about doctors and and the Who for for a while, but none of it had anything to do with science fiction. So I'm glad we're getting back to what Doctor and uh, Who should be all about. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right, so in this episode, um, which has, frankly, a little bit of a misleading title, um, is, uh, you know, we see the TARDIS take the form of a human in it. And we actually hear what the TARDIS has to say. I think that there's a lot to learn here from that. Like, I think one of the most important parts in it is the doctor accuses the TARDIS of, you know, you didn't take me where I wanted to go. She's like, no, but I always took you where you needed to go. And then that sort of gives insight into the faulty, you know, navigation system that may actually not be so faulty as intentional. Definitely. I, I, uh, I for sure saw a lot of just brilliant dialogue involving the TARDIS herself. And it's a lot of things that I really overlooked the first time that I watched the episode because I did not know who this woman was. I thought she was a crazy psychopath. And, you know, maybe a little bit, but, you know, everything that she said was meaningful and was connected to the TARDIS. Okay, so this this surprised me because at the very beginning of it, I feel like they make it really obvious that the TARDIS is going into her, and then it's just that the other characters don't know. Because they did the sound and the regeneration energy, and they told her her soul she was going to get a new soul. It did not come together for me the first time, and I was not looking at it, you know, in the right way. You know, maybe if I was a little bit more thoughtful, or maybe it's something that I just forgot over the course of a couple of years. But I, I really listened to it carefully this time. I was, I thought it was kind of horrifying at the beginning how the TARDIS ended up in this woman. This woman was actually a real woman named Idris before, and to have the TARDIS, or to have her soul sucked out by House, the asteroid that they land on, was just absolutely, ugh. <laughs> I don't know, it might have been, like, I can't really tell, it might have been just as horrifying, like, the whole auntie and uncle thing, where they're just sitting there going, like, oh yes, you know, it's gonna be you, and, you know, I wish I could take your place, no, just kidding, because it's really gonna hurt. <laughs> and well, just, like, not, not caring about her at all. Well, it makes you wonder... Was that even her original soul, or was that another TARDIS whose soul was getting replaced with a new TARDIS? That I don't know. I think the idea was that this was a real person. Yeah, I think House might have. Um, I think House might have like eaten 
her soul or something. Yeah, House was a pretty crazy character. I mean, I thought it was a phenomenal enemy. Just that booming, ominous voice and feasibly control of everything that you're standing on and that you need to survive when you are near it. I also thought it was really weird, the whole thing where Angie and Uncle just fell over dead because <laughs> House left. I mean, it was oh, a little no. bit funny, but... I feel fine, but... Uh, 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 and then he falls down dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were creepy characters. I think it showed a lot what, you know, low-budget makeup can do, you know, with the right, co- with the right um, you know, angle and the right acting. Although, what was it, nep- is it nephew or nephew? Son? Yeah, nephew was fine, and he- and House took him with him. So I, I almost wish they had gone a little bit deeper into that relationship because it seemed like he had a kind of a different role than the other ones. Oh, so actually, for this, um, so nephew was an ood, and ood are um, these creatures that, well, they're born with their with a like a second or actually really a third brain in their hands. So they're like by nature, extremely peaceful. And then humans came and exploited them and they replaced that brain with like that orb thing that he carried around. And that's how they can talk and communicate with everyone. And they basically are, they're slaves and they're just like, Oh, well the Uter are just fine with it. They're not fighting back or anything. And So they're basically like a massive race of slaves to humans for generations until the doctor like comes in and fixes it basically. So he's like conditioned to be a slave and that's kind of might be why House likes him because he's like super obedient. Yeah, but why didn't he like die with the other ones? Well, presumably it was the proximity to House that kept them alive. A lot of darkness in the Ood. It, it definitely brings a lot of darkness to, you know, the phrase, gotta love an Ood. <laughs> well, that. when the Ood first showed up, they were slaves to the devil and were went around on a murderous rampage, so. <laughs> I think I should point out that with regards to the Ood, it was a separate entity completely from the other two, uncle and auntie. So nephew probably survived because he had his own life that was probably still good to go. Until, of course, this, uh, a very bad accident in the second console room. <laughs> um, I should point out that uh, the voice of House was the uh, awesome Michael Sheen. Just wanted yeah. to throw that out there. I'd like to point out that whole thing where um, the TARDIS is in the cage and just says something like, Ubisoft Zero Ipsoe or whatever. Like, that allegedly is supposed to be the only water in the forest is the river backwards, but it, like, very obviously is not. So there's really, like, no actual valid explanation as to what on earth she is saying at that point in time. You know, she starts just splurging gibberish. I have no idea what that means. (laughs) I'm confused, too. (laughs) Which part? I don't understand why... That phrase is important. Oh, she says it at the very end of the episode. And then Rory's like, I don't understand. And the doctor said, not yet, but you will. So I'm yeah, not going to tell Basically, with time Kelsey, and... I'm not going to tell you what it means because we haven't gotten there yet. Uh. Yeah, I think it's funny that she uh, was like, oh, yeah, it's weird, you know, using tenses. <laughs> yeah. Because if you exist across all of time, then. <laughs> right. 
Which also kind of makes sense. If the TARDIS actually exists across all space and time, then it sort of disappearing and reappearing in a different place in space and time isn't that strange. It's sort of like it expands to fill the universe and then re, you know, condenses itself in the spot it wants. It's a concept that got explored in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. Um, uh-huh. Which, you know, Douglas Adams, the writer of that, was also the lead writer of Doctor Who for um, for a while. So there's a lot of uh, influences that go in both directions. Yeah, there. just like, you know, this is this episode was pretty much at the end of the universe. Like, I would hope that there'd be a restaurant over there. <laughs> but well, no, this, I think it's really outside of the universe, right? Yeah, it's outside. Fair, the writer of this episode, uh, Neil Gaiman, actually got a lot of had a lot of influence from um, Douglas Adams for his writings. I mean, if you take a look at Good Omens, uh, you can see a lot of influence from Douglas Adams right then and there. That's a good point. I never really thought about that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, there's a a lot. This was a classic episode, right? There's a lot of great, you know, one-liners there. And, you know, I I really thought it made it out to be kind of an epic showdown. You know, like this is a... A big creature with a consciousness spanning, you know, a world, maybe another dimension, who has killed hundreds of Time Lords. And then you have the Doctor himself, who has killed all the Time Lords. (laughs) Well, I also like, to be honest, like when I was first watching this episode, I got so excited because I thought, oh my gosh, there's going to be a pocket of Time Lords. And, you know, maybe they'll rebuild the, the whole species and everything. And then, of course, it wasn't the case. So I think that, um... Neil Gaiman did a really good job sort of building up to that and then just kind of dropping it so we're just as disappointed as the Doctor in that moment. Now, honestly, I, I would take that as a bit of a criticism of the episode. I, just that um, I like that it has that angle and that you're like, oh my goodness, other Time Lords. But I don't feel like it gave us much space to you know, really relate to that and get excited. It just fizzles out very quickly. I disagree because I think that we got to relate to the Doctor's feelings about this. He, we were both the audience is excited with the doctor, which is very unusual because usually it's a companion that we're relating to, not the doctor. But this instance, we're all relating to the doctor saying, oh, my God, the Time Lords are here. Let's go see them. And then just as we find out they aren't the Time Lords, we have the same feelings as the doctor for a change. I like that part of it. It's kind of an interesting twist to the whole perspective of the audience that's fair I, I think i just wished it was drawn out a little bit more so we could sit with it and, and imagine you know the possibilities i think here like you know the time lords had been gone for a while but um you know i, I understand that I, I think that makes sense too I, maybe my real criticism was i just wish the episode was longer uh, <laughs> see the only thing i focused on during the whole like are the time lords around was how annoying amy was to me during that and how <laughs> whiny and Ugh, I forgot how much I dislike her. <laughs> I think one thing I think about Amy, though, was really redeeming in this episode was just one brief, like, one or two second clip where she has to think about the concept of, I, I don't know, like, joy or delight or something like that. And instead of it being the adventures with the doctor that over always overshadowed Rory, it was like her wedding day with him. Yeah. Which I, I thought was nice because you don't always see that. It doesn't really come through that... You know, Rory and Amy are as much of a thing, at least in Amy's eyes. 
Well, I mean, and then also there's there's the whole part where she thinks that Rory has died horribly after being tortured for years and dies hating her, and she just, you know, completely loses it and collapses on the floor sobbing. And I think that that sort of emotional reaction to losing Rory coupled with Rory, you know, dying thinking poorly of her just kind of, you know, shows how much she really does care. Definitely. But also... Rory gets to die again. Yeah. Yet yet another death. Rory Williams. Yeah, well, was this one necessary, too? I mean, uh, (laughs) it makes you always feel like if he dies again, like, will I care? I mean, how many times? I think this one did play on the feelings, though, because this had a very dark overtone. And the interesting part was that everything was so dark inside the TARDIS, which is unusual. Usually you find the TARDIS as your home base that's where you want to go when you want to feel safe in this case the TARDIS is not safe at all and obviously these are mind tricks being played on Amy and Rory so that they're both going crazy and the house is obviously being entertained by their torture Although it, like, seems, and I don't know if this was just intended that we only saw one side of it, but it seems like Amy was the only one who had mind tricks played on her. Because she both got the thinking Rory had died part and the I can't see it's dark part. I think based on Rory's reaction, I at least came away with, like, he was getting messed with too. But, you know, I, I don't think we fully see things through his eyes for sure. I did think it was another interesting thing the house did was turn off the corridor anti-grav, which uh, made it kind of seem cool that, like, I guess there's corridors through the TARDIS where you're just walking along, and then you take a step and you're, like, in a different direction and stuff. It just seems pretty neat. Uh, TARDIS is rather infinite, so it should be easy for him to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very Escher-like. It kind of made me think of, like, Galaxy Quest when they're traveling through and they have to, like walk through all, like, the ship in the different areas, and they discover all these things that are suddenly super dangerous. I don't know. That's what I was thinking the whole time. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I think it's similar imagery to that, like, movie in general, just a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, I I thought it was interesting that the TARDIS liked Rory best, basically, (laughs) and trusts him the most, because he really is the only one who's, like, been consistent and loyal the entire time. The other two are kind of, like, but I don't know that she trusted Rory over the doctor, but like, well, I definitely think, over Amy. I think it was more of a lust after Rory. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, who knows what how much uh, importance she puts into the concept. She calls herself sexy. I, I'm kind of uh, surprised we're not all referring to the TARDIS as sexy nowadays. <laughs> well, that was actually the doctor that refers to her as sexy. That's what he calls her. That's what he's called her pretty much in every incarnation I believe since Christopher Eccleston, or even maybe even Paul McGann, who knows? But the um, the point is, she's like, "What? What do you call me? I know there's a word. Oh yeah, I think it's sexy." <laughs> of course, Matt Smith's doctor runs with it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I I love like a lot of the interaction they had. The whole thing where um, the TARDIS is like, you know, you always have ignored my sign and you open the door in the wrong direction. And you bring home strays. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of strays. And, oh my gosh, that one scene where the doctor's like looking out over the field of TARDISes and is like, oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And she's like, I'm thinking that all my sisters are dead and we're looking at their corpses. 
just like, wow, different perspective of things because you really don't – like the doctor says the TARDIS is alive, the TARDISes are grown, they're not made, but – you don't really think about it in the same sense as being like a living conscious being until this episode, because you only really see the doctor's like seemingly, you know, unhealthy, you know, attachment to it. But then when you find out it's an actual thinking being, it's a bit different. It's alluded, it's alluded to in, uh, in even classic who and knew who that the TARDIS is more than just a machine. Yeah. But you don't really like, Understand well, at least I didn't like fully understand or really, you know, grasp that concept until this episode. Uh-huh. Didn't it do that? Like, the, but going back to Christopher Eccleston, when Rose, like, doesn't the TARDIS, like, I forget exactly what happens in that episode, but the TARDIS, like, gives her a life force, basically. Yeah, and so you can kind of tell it has its own, like, mind at that point. She looks into the heart of the TARDIS and, yeah. and she absorbs, she basically absorbs the abilities that the TARDIS has to affect time around her. And I think that's what the whole point was. Yeah. It's definitely a very humanizing way to view the TARDIS, you know, to actually put it in human form. Uh, but I, I also like how the whole, you know, doctor stealing a TARDIS and going off the uni- uh, into the universe thing was flipped on, on its head a little bit. You know, because yeah. all the way back to the beginning of Doctor Who, it still makes sense, but it's a whole new perspective to say the TARDIS stole the Doctor to see the universe. <laughs> I guess in a sense, they both kind of fell in love with each other. <laughs> in, in a in a machine to uh, uh, Time Lord way, I guess. Yeah. You would think that now that the Doctor knows that the TARDIS has a voice, like, why wouldn't he try to put a voice system in play well he, he said that the time lords tried that and then discovered that it didn't work but rory interrupted him so he didn't finish his thought <laughs> well i'm certainly glad that they uh they stopped before the i do you know in the doctor's wife story <laughs> what the heck title is that like it was misleading <laughs> It was. Well, the Doctor's wife refers to the fact that the Doctor and the TARDIS are kind of married to each other. They've been through the entire show together. You can't Even, have one without the other. Doesn't the Doctor actually have a wife at this point? No, not at this point. Oh. No, not at this point. Yeah, I, I guess if this uh, episode happened several seasons later, it might have been called House in the Doctor's House. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's an interesting title. House party. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor House. Wait, not not that show. The one where the, where the doctor visits outside the universe and looking for wrong, wrong doctor. <laughs> Bringing down the house. <laughs> I did think it was sweet though the the point where um the TARDIS says hello to the doctor cuz she's just been like holding it back for hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, she's also trying to make sure that she, because uh, she's uh, the entire the entire episode, she's trying to think of this one word that's both sad and happy, and the word, of course, is alive. And she becomes alive, but then she realizes that she can't stay alive because she can't stay inside this body that can't house her because she takes over the body. Yeah, that one kind of bothers me though because, like, isn't the TARDIS still alive, just not able to like walk around and talk? Technically, no, because it's, I guess, a, a grown machine. I mean, in a sense, it's alive, but I guess it goes, you could, you could argue that it's kind of like a data. 
from Star Trek The Next Generation. I would say it, gay doesn't lie. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how you define life. I guess in this case, sure, why not? I don't see why the TARDIS can't be alive. Just like viruses, they're not comprised of cells, so I don't think our normal biologists would recognize it. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah, no, I don't think they've ever said viruses are alive. I think viruses are alive, but... Who <laughs> we? Well, well, scientifically, I don't think they're alive, but... Okay. I think we need to expand our definition of life, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Possibly. Okay. I, don't, I don't give it to viruses, though. May as well give it to computer viruses, then. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's getting interesting. <laughs> Indeed. Get all, like, but, but we theory. digress. Um, I, I, I've been racking my brain for criticism of, of this episode, and I think the one that stuck with me the most was just kind of the ending. You know, I expected more of a downfall from the house rather than just like, oh, I forgot that this TARDIS can go back and, and merge with the TARDIS, and it foils me. Oh, no, what a fault in my ways after these 100 Time Lords that I have foiled. I forgot that TARDISes can just be my weak point. I don't... I kind of like the idea that the TARDIS is powerful enough. If you, bri- I mean, House was stupid in that sense. He didn't think about it. He was, like, having fun in his new home, and thinking everything was fine and dandy, and so he didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. Like, and that's kind of a, a common thread with a lot of villains in science fiction in general. Well, they t- not to think about that. I mean, also though, I mean, he's done this hundreds of times. He's probably you know just gotten cocky too. Yeah, that's true. I just thought it was a bit uh, anticlimactic. Well, had he ever been inside of a TARDIS, or did he just eat there? He had never been inside. Uh, I've never been inside a TARDIS, no. Yeah, so, I mean, so it was a new situation. Maybe he didn't realize that the TARDIS could be strong enough to force him out or something. Yeah, maybe. maybe, Feasibly, he has been. He has plenty of them on his planet that he's ripped apart. Well, okay, but he drains the the soul of the TARDIS out of it so that it doesn't interfere with him while he's eating all the dimensions. Of a TARDIS, so like feasibly, he knew at some point, or at least got taught to, you know. Well, do that. in this episode, you know, Rory and Amy's lives are spared at least for some time because this guy wants to be entertained. He is a sentience, and he has a lot of time on his hands. And I think you know, if you have a TARDIS and you have hundreds of them, you're not going to take a look inside, you know, with some of your you know infinite time in, outside the universe in your own little pocket bubble. That's not like a pocket bubble, but it is, but it's not, it's not that simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, maybe right, we should break so this thing. Ratings time? Yeah. Ratings time. Kelsey, you want to start us off? Um, sure. I felt a little, I, the title really threw me off on this one, so I think that, like, I went into it with the wrong mindset in a way because I kept expecting like something romantic or <laughs> something like that to happen and and I, I picked up on what was going on pretty quickly like that that woman had, was the TARDIS and all that stuff so I thought it was interesting um I felt like for some reason she was really hard for me to understand like when she was speaking because she talked so quickly and maybe it was the accent and maybe it was like how loud like the sound mixing or something but I really struggled to like kind of understand what she was saying a little bit which annoyed me a lot but overall I I liked 
I liked the episode. I didn't love it. I liked it okay. Um, and I thought that like it was an interesting view of the doctor in a way because he was excited and he was happy and then he was sad and then he was really excited to be meeting the TARDIS and didn't uh-huh. trust her at first but then started trusting her and then was like in love with her at the end of the episode. So there was a lot of like ups and downs there. That was interesting. I kind of felt like the companions in a way, it was like they gave them a side plot just to keep them out of the way of the Doctor and the TARDIS. And and same same with the villain in a lot of respects. Like, it was kind of an interesting villain, but I felt like the episode was really more about, like, trying to get dialogue between the TARDIS and Doctor going. So, um, so overall, I guess I would give this one a 6.5. All right. So for me, and I'll just jump in here as the next reviewer, um, I thought this was a great episode. I mean, it's definitely a classic. I think it goes back into the to the hearts and the minds of many Whovians around the around the globe. Um, I, I would just assume, you know, based on my wife's reaction to it, at least. But it's a solid episode. It's it's Neil Gaiman, who I think you know sounds like a powerhouse of you know the sci-fi kind of fantasy world with great writing. And I think he wrote a great episode. I think he took some bold moves, you know, that would cast a new light a little bit on Doctor Who without changing things and disrupting canon. And I think it felt uh, fit well. You know, there was some humor in this episode. Uh, as I said before, there's some great lines. Um, there's a little action kind of adventure to it. And it was, you know, a little bit of a wits against wits move as well. Um, a lot of great Doctor Who action came out in this episode. Um, and I was pretty taken with it. Um, overall, um, I would watch it again. And I think this is going to get, for me, a 9 out of 10. All right. So, one line from it that I absolutely love that we haven't mentioned yet is when the TARDIS runs up to the Doctor, immediately kisses him, and then later comes up and goes, Biting's excellent. It's like kissing, only there's a winner. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I, I actually, I, I loved this episode so much. Um, I really love, like, everything Neil Gaiman does, too. And it just, I mean, I, I get that the, you know, the sort of the villain and the companions were very sidelined in it. But I did think that there was, you know, some interesting segments in there with, you know, just them running around the TARDIS. But lar- largely, just the Doctor and TARDIS interactions were so interesting. And like Colin said, it didn't break anything in canon, but just sort of, you know, altered it and made everything about that relationship and, and the journey so much more special between them. Um, and yeah, great one-liners. I thought the acting was all great. And um, I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 10. Way out. I have to say that the one-liners in this are definitely numerous. Um, I, one of my favorite lines is when uh, Amy asks the doctor, you want to be forgiven? And he says, don't we all? And I think that was a very tender moment here because the doctor's trying to find all these Time Lords that could pot- potentially be on the planet, but he's also scared to face them because he knows what he's done with Gallifrey. So... How is it going to explain it? Um, I think this story was beautifully written. Uh, Neil Gaiman does, I think, his best job in this episode above all the other episodes that he wrote Doctor for Doctor Who. And um, I do agree that um, the acting in this particular episode was phenomenal. I love the 
I love when you're looking out over the graveyard of TARDISes and you just see for miles all these different parts just all over the place. That was actually kind of gorgeous in a sense and kind of sad too. Um, I'm going to give this episode an 8 out of 10. Leo. So, Michael, you might know the answer to this question. I was wondering because, you know, I, I thought some of the faults that I had with the episode were, you know, probably just oriented around the length. Do you happen to know if there's an exp- um, any extended bonus features that add a little bit more meat to this puzzle? Kind of. There's um, kind of one. That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. I actually have the DVD in right now. Um not to my knowledge, as far as I know, there were, were no extra features, um, as far as I know. Okay, yeah. but um, there was actually, so originally, you know how the, the episode starts and, like, you know, they're in the TARDIS and then someone knocks on the door and it turns out it's the, the messaging system? The cube. Yeah, so actually yes. that was... The, one the doctor gets so excited about. Yeah, so that was actually going to be a longer scene. Um, that where they're off in the middle of this adventure and then the cube comes in, like interrupts them, but it was too much time because the episode, they needed to fit too much into the episode. So they ended up cutting it and making it much shorter, but there actually was a, um, a little short made of that same scene called the rainmakers, I think. And, um, but instead of Amy Rory and the doctor, it actually is the doctor and river and it then got written as being um, actually by Stephen Moffat, partially because I'm sure he did edit it some, but also I'm pretty confident that he had something in his contract that he was the only one allowed to write episodes or anything featuring River Song, just at a guess. But um, yeah, so we can look that up. Sorry, I didn't know that that was what you were referencing. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. I had no idea what he was referencing. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I hope everybody enjoyed their special first edition of Pandemic, the Whovian Review. More to come. Hopefully, if we're still alive. <laughs> we're still on the Facebook. I think you can catch us on the YouTube, wherever you love to enjoy your podcast. Uh, you have plenty of time on your hands now. No excuse not to subscribe and watch all the, all the podcasts. <laughs> also, I, I want to put out a heartfelt be safe out there. I don't want any of our listeners um, getting this. And, of course, if you do, please try and get uh, well soon. Indeed. Stay home and binge watch Doctor Who and then uh, hear what we have to say about it. Until the next time. Bye. Bye. Adios. Adios.